Welcome to the Paul Gunn Podcast. Paul is an American pastor and chaplain who seeks to teach the Bible in an easy to understand and inspirational way to people of all ages. He believes the truths found in the scriptures have the power to change lives. Paul's church has a diverse mix of nationalities and ethnicities where the scriptures are taught in seven languages. When he's not serving his church, he's serving the military as a chaplain. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoy this edition of the Paul Gunn Podcast. The title of my message this morning is A Pattern for Meeting God. And I will be preaching from Nehemiah chapter 8. And before we begin this message on Nehemiah chapter 8, I want to recap what we've learned. The walls of Jerusalem were in ruins at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah. And when this man, Nehemiah, heard about it, he prayed for God's favor and committed himself to rebuilding the walls. And the king that he worked for approved his request and gave him resources to go and, and lead the charge to rebuild the walls. So Nehemiah traveled Jerusalem. He was a Jewish man who had been born outside of Jerusalem. He'd never been there. And he gets to Jerusalem and he sees the ruined walls that had never been rebuilt, although the people had been allowed to return to Jerusalem some 100 years prior, the walls were still in ruin. And this was also symbolic of the fact that the people were not unified, that they were not trusting God like they should, that uh, the, the walls were very important for defense. Also, they were, they had spiritual significance. When they started working on the walls, there were enemies from without and problems from within. But the wall was completed in record time. And Nehemiah appointed people to be in charge. He set up rules for guarding the city and he conducted a census to determine resources and manpower. So this man, Nehemiah, came on the scene at just the right time. God is a great God of timing. And the people... Had he come earlier, they might not have been ready. Had he come later, they might have given up hope. But he came on the scene right in God's timing, and he inspired, motivated, and equipped the people to start rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. So it was complete now, and Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem celebrated this great accomplishment with a worship service, which seems appropriate, doesn't it? And from this part of their story... We glean a pattern for meeting with God. You may ask, how do I meet with God? What do I do to to commune with God? What do I do to hear God's voice? Those are great questions. What we can do is look at the, the biblical examples of people who met with God and see what were the patterns that led up to their meeting with God. And in their meeting with God, what patterns did they follow? So in today's message, we we see five things that happened here that really tell us a a fantastic, a biblical pattern for meeting with God. The first one is to pay attention to God's word. Second, worship the Lord. Third, understand what God says. Fourth, repent of sins, and five, go out in joy. 
Go out in joy. So first, I want you to see that a pattern for meeting with God that we see from Nehemiah here is listen intently to, to God's word. So we're going to look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly which was made up of men and women and all who were, who were able to understand. He read it aloud from, the, from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. What I just read to you might not sound so exciting, so I'm going to give you some background here that makes it exciting. Nehemiah's story in this, this book of the Bible began during, during a month that would equate to around our November, December time frame on our calendar. And now the months that have passed and the month that they would be in in our calendar would be right around October. So less than a year had passed from the time that they started rebuilding the wall and having finished the wall. What a difference a year can make when people are unified and people are ready to roll up their sleeves and get to work. And we know from the story of Nehemiah that there was only one small group of nobles in one tribe that didn't want to participate. But other than that, everybody participated. Everybody got involved in doing this, this, this monumental, seemingly impossible task. They faced hardships, they pressed on. They faced enemies, they pressed on. They had a completion point in mind and now everything was completed. Nehemiah and and the priest Ezra. I mentioned Ezra in a sermon or two earlier about his role here, and I won't go into that, but if you're curious, you can look that up. They, they gathered the people by the gate called the Water Gate. And this was a, an area of the, the, the city that led to the main spring that was Jerusalem's primary water source. We might think that the temple would have been a better source for a suitable choice or the temple area, but uh, for some reason they went toward the gate called the water gate. And it could be because they were, they were right at the Jewish New Year called Rosh Hashanah. You've heard of this, I'm sure. And we know that uh, in, in the Bible, water is often symbolic for spiritual principles and that the people needed to be near water in, to, in order to perform a New Year's ritual that was a part of their, their culture. They, they cast breadcrumbs or stones into the water to represent casting away of their sins and the seeking of renewal. Well, 
Ezra and Nehemiah knew what they were doing. And so they brought the people together at this, this, this celebration, which was a time of reflection, a time of renewal, and a time to contemplate the past year and to think of and plan and have intentions for personal growth and improvement in the next year. And for these people, for, the, for these, these Hebrew people, pretty much known as the Jewish people by now, it was also a time of spiritual reflection and repentance. So let me ask you a question. Is there a particular type of food or foods that you like to eat? Most of us like certain foods. So for me, it's probably a, a plate of green beans, uh, some real mashed potatoes. You can keep your instant potatoes and some cream-style corn. I mean, now that's, that's my plate right there. And when I sit down to a meal like that, I, I don't hold back. And I pray that Jesus will delay his return until I finish that plate, you know. But on the other hand, if I see a plate of beets, I'm, I'm not interested. You might be. I'm a little less enthusiastic. The scripture tells us here that for six hours, six hours, listen to this, Ezra read from the book of the law of Moses, the first five books of our Old Testament, and the people listened attentively. Can you imagine? It was like sitting down at that plate of food that you love and eating it and, and loving it and enjoying every bit of it. They, they, they listened for six hours. We, we have trouble concentrating for 30 minutes but here's the thing to them this was a delicious meal that just kept going it was a feast to them it was a it was a meal of nutrition spiritual nutrition that they had been deprived of for a very very long time and they were taking it in like a buffet now for many of us we take God's word for granted we, we've heard it every Sunday morning for most of our lives. We can turn on the radio, TV, YouTube, or whatever and listen to it. We've got several Bibles scattered around our homes. We, uh, and instead of, instead of treating the scripture like a gourmet meal or a buffet, we treat it a little bit like fast food. We treat it a bit like a drive through because it's readily available. And we, we cheapen it when we don't give it the attention it deserves whether we are meeting with God in a corporate setting or individually, whether we are listening to it or reading it, one of the first and most important things that we can do is to pay attention to God's Word as closely as the people did right here. Not, not often anymore because I think we've moved on past it, but occasionally I will hear people ask me what's the best English translation of the scripture and people have their favorites you may be accustomed to a particular translation of scripture and that's fine but I, here's my answer to the question the best translation the best English translation of the scripture is the one that gets read the one that gets read so if you're if you're having trouble understanding the King James which has served us well for years uh, hundreds of years there are good translations that can help you. And, and I do believe that we need to continue to have new translations, not because God's word changes, but because the English language changes. And we need to be able to read, teach, and speak accurately. Next, in a pattern for meeting with God, worship the Lord. 
Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 4, says this. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. I love the detail that's in the book of Nehemiah. Can't you imagine this? I mean, this was a big occasion, so they built him a big platform. Behind him on his right stood a group of men. I won't even try to read their names. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We stand at certain occasions. We stand at weddings when the bride is walking forward. We, we give standing ovations at times. We stand at sports events when someone makes an incredible play. We also stand when we're short and everybody in front of us stands and we have to stand to see what's going on, regardless of the occasion. When Ezra started reading, the people stood. They did not stand in honor of Ezra. He hadn't finished singing a great solo or preaching a great sermon. No, they stood to show their respect for the Lord and for his word. They listened to God's word as if God himself were the one speaking it. Can you imagine the reverence of this? They shouted, Amen. And have you ever wondered what the word Amen actually means? Well, guess what the original word in the scripture is for amen? It's actually amen. It's pronounced a little differently, but it's amen. It means verily. It means truly. It means that you agree. It means so be it. And if you say amen, you're saying I agree with what's being said. So in, in agreeing with God's word, they were quickly brought to an attitude of worship. And the the Hebrew word here that's used to, for the word worship means to bow down or to prostrate oneself. The people, they may have lifted their hands, but they bowed their heads and their bodies. Most importantly, though, even though the scripture doesn't necessarily say it like this, most importantly, they bowed their hearts. Because worship is by its very nature an act of humbling oneself before God. It is not a show. Worship is not for others to watch you or you to watch others. Worship is between a believer and God. And to be a Christian... This, a Christian means that we recognize God's authoritative role in our lives. It means that we, even when we can't always pray to him on bended knee, it means that we come before him humbly, wherever we are, in his presence, and we give him the honor that he not only deserves, but that he expects. Yes, we are thankful for all he has done for us, but our primary worship, reason for worshiping God is because he is God. He's creator. 
He's the master. He's the savior. And whether we are in church or in our homes or in our cars, when we meet with God, we should pay attention to his word. We should worship him. Third, we should understand what God says. Nehemiah chapter 8. The Levites, and there's a list of names provided there. They instructed people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. This is so important because this indicates to us that even though the walls uh, had been down, even though the walls, it took a year for them to build back the walls, the Levites were ready. They were the priestly class. They were ready. They had not let go of the book of the law. They were ready. All they needed was a leader like Nehemiah to come in and rebuild the walls, set the record straight, uh, stop the corruption that was going on that we read about in earlier, get the enemies at bay, and then they had the Ezra reading the scripture, and then they had opportunity right then to go around. And the scripture says that the that they made clear what the law was saying. These were descendants from the tribe of Levi, and God set them apart from the other tribes for a specific purpose, to be the, the priest, or we could say, you know, in a modern term, to be the pastors, to be the shepherds. And during this six-hour church service, the Levites likely walked around the crowd, helping them to understand what was being read. The books of the law had been written by Moses, some inspired by God, penned by Moses, some 800 to 900 years prior to this day. Most of these people had grown up on foreign soil. Most of them had only returned to Jerusalem in a short period of time. They were more familiar with the language and the customs and probably the religions of their captors than they were the law of Moses and the Hebrew language. In your lifetime, you know how language has changed, right? You remember how we used to say phrases like, I'm going to kill you. We don't say that now. We don't say that. Numerous phrases, numerous words like that in my lifetime has changed. Can you imagine how the Hebrew language may have changed over 800, 900 years? And so the people were hearing this, this authentic Hebrew being read, and they probably needed the Levites to understand what did he say? What, did that, what does that mean? How does that impact us? For some of them, this may have been the first time they had ever heard God's word for themselves. They had probably heard about God's word, but now they were hearing God's word. And if Ezra just had just read the material and left it at that, the people would likely have not understood it, and its impact would have been lessened. And we know that, that one primary method of communication is through language, and language is ever-changing. The Bible promises that the Holy Spirit will help us to understand God's word. But scripture itself attests to the importance of translating it and teaching its principles in a way that can be more easily digested and more easily understood. And this is not a process that can be rushed. I've preached at this pulpit for 10 years. I've been absent 
as, as would be normal for most pastors during the 10 years for different times, mainly for just vacation. But I've never, ever come into the pulpit unprepared. I've, I've never come up here and just rattled off a bunch of stuff and tried to bluff all of you. <laughs> I've been prepared every time. This week, when I knew that my Sunday schedule was going to be tight, I believe it was Tuesday, I finished up my notes. And Friday, I came by, printed my notes, put them in the Bible, and put the Bible back here because I knew I would be walking in that door. Just want you to know, I'm prepared when I get up here because we cannot rush the process of reading the Scripture and explaining it to people in a way that they would understand. You know, I, the, I got I to have preaching I understand. If I don't understand it, it's not going to do me any good. Well, sometimes we treat reading God's Word as if it, as if it was some type of race. We, we push through difficult passages in record time so that we can check our devotion, uh, our check, check mark for devotions for the day. The Bible says that God's Word does not go out void. So yes, there is a benefit with, with quick reading, sure. But the Bible also says to study to show yourself approved. If you're having trouble understanding the Scripture, here's my challenge to you. First, make sure that, you're, that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and then pray that the Holy Spirit will open your mind. Pray that the Holy Spirit will, will, will open your mind to those things that you don't understand. And if we do read the things that are easier to understand, an old principle in hermeneutics, I think from St. Augustine, is Read what you do understand, and the unclear passages will become clearer. Well, we need to pay attention to God's word. We need to worship the Lord. We need to understand what it says. And what is the next pattern for worship that we see right here? Here it is. We should repent of our sins. Nehemiah chapter 8 says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra... The, uh, the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy uh, choice food and sweet drinks and, and send some to those who have, who have nothing prepared. Well, the people repented of their sins. They, in their weeping, fell under conviction of their sins. They were grateful for where the Lord had brought them. And they, 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 as the more that they heard God's word and heard God's command, the more they began to realize their sinfulness to a greater degree. And the, the word, the weeping here, has a root of grief in it. And they were expressing tremendous grief. When we see God for who he is, we cannot help but become aware of our own sinfulness. And there's only one appropriate response to that realization. We must repent. The scripture talks about God being a consuming fire. 
So if we have the righteousness of God right here, and we have people right here, we're consumed by his righteousness, like a consuming fire. This is where Jesus comes between us and God. God has provided Jesus as the bridge for us to come to him because we cannot approach God on our own terms. It is impossible. Time with God requires that we pay attention to God's word, that we worship the Lord, that we understand what it says, that we repent of sins. And then here's the good one. Go out in joy. Do not grieve, for the Lord is your strength. And it says the Levites calmed all the people by saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. In other words... The law had been read. The people comparing themselves to the law were grieving. And then the Levites who were explaining the law said, Now it's time to celebrate. Verse 12. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. The citizens of Jerusalem may have been stricken with grief for another reason. Listen to this. You see, after the Rosh Hashanah and before two other festivals or events that take place later in this chapter, there, there would have been another important day. In fact, it was the most important day of all for the Jewish people. It was the Day of Atonement. And, and while the new year was a time for contemplation and repentance, the Day of Atonement was a time for forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest made special offerings on behalf of his sin and the people's sin. And on this day and only on this day, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, a special place within the temple where God's presence literally dwelt inside the Ark of the Covenant. And the priest would sprinkle the blood of, of sacrifices over the ark. And in, that, in that, that event, that worship experience, God forgave the sins of his people for another year. Well, in closing, listen. Unlike the citizens of Jerusalem, we do not have to wait. It's already been done for us. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is both our high priest and he is our perfect sacrifice. If we have confessed, I just got chills right now stating that, going up and down my body here. If we have confessed our sins and committed our lives to him, then we have been forgiven. And there is a reason to celebrate. Every time we meet with God, whether it's here in the church pew or praying before we go to bed at night, Listen, we should pay attention to God's word. We should worship the Lord, understand what it says, repent of our sins, and then go in joy. Go, and I don't mean enjoy, E-N-J-O-I. I mean go, N-I-N, space, joy. Be joyful because Jesus has forgiven us. The Day of Atonement. For believers was the day that Christ died on the cross for us. No longer 
do we rely on any human representative and elaborate rituals for forgiveness. They're over. Jesus sacrificed himself to pay our sin debt. And if you want to be saved today, saved from your own sins, saved from an eternity without Christ, which we call hell, if you want to be saved today, you can know Jesus. God's Spirit is calling you right now. God's reaching down out of heaven right now. If you've heard this and you've never repented of your sins and trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you, you need to do that right now. Don't put it off. Now is the time. You've been listening to the Paul Gunn Podcast, produced by Marie McKinney Oates, available on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tina Tran. Have a good day, mate.